Welcome to the JMD podcast, a fortnightly companion podcast to the Journal of Inherited Metabolic Disease and its sister journal, JMD Reports. Every two weeks, I'll bring you interviews with authors discussing topics across the full breadth of the specialty, enticing you to read their research and filling out the stories left in the gaps. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please subscribe or even leave a review, but not before this latest episode when we return to MTHFR deficiency. Hello there. Now, for this episode, it's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Manuel Schiff, a professor of paediatrics in Nicare Hospital. Dr. Schiff is also an honoured secretary of the Society for the Study of Inborn Errors in Metabolism and the author of the recent paper, Influence of Early Identification and Therapy on Long-Term Outcomes in Early Onset MTHFR Deficiency. Uh, Manuel, welcome to the podcast. Hello, James. Thank you for having me here. Now, um, we've already had a podcast talking about MTHFR deficiency, albeit late onset disease. So we've heard a little about what it is. Um, however, one of the discussion points in your work is around treatment with betaine. So I wonder if you could explain MTHFR biochemistry relevant to that and why betaine works. Sure. So uh, like you said, there was um, a recent paper in the journal regarding late onset MTHFR disease. And here we were uh, focusing our work on early onset disease, which is the sign and symptoms appearing early in life, that is before the age of three months. And what needs to be said first is that it's a, a big collaboration between international colleagues. So I'd like to thank them for helping us to uh, publish this work. And second, it's also in the frame of a consortium called EHOD regarding uh, homocysteinurias. So I'd like also to thank uh, the members of EHOD. And last but not least, the first author is a fellow in pediatrics uh, called uh, Mathilde Iverno, who uh, did the study and, and, uh, and performed most of the, of the work. So having said that, I, I'm going to answer a question and say that uh, if you look at the biochemistry of this genetic disease, it's an enzyme deficiency. The enzyme is called methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase MTHFR, and it's a genetic disease. It's a recessive disease where you have biallelic variants on the gene, and these biallelic variants affect the activity of the MTHFR enzyme, and the impact on the activity is... Uh, is really, uh, it's a huge defect. What are the biochemical consequences of this defect is the accumulation of homocysteine on the one hand and the lack of methionine on the other hand. And we think that the pathogenesis of the disease is related to both of these factors. So betaine is a very useful drug because it's a, a substrate of an alternative enzymatic pathway which helps both in liver and in kidney. So when you have accumulation of homocysteine and lack of methionine, betaine comes and, and stimulate a reaction that will lower the homocysteine accumulation and give back uh, methionine. And the role of betaine in MTHFR deficiency has been explored previously. What were the aims of your study? It's a very good question. So um, indeed, it's well known that betaine is a very important treatment in MTHFR deficiency. And the story of this paper is that I had been noticing that 
I had uh, three patients actually who were treated early on with MTHFR deficiency because they had brothers and sisters who had been diagnosed and who had not been treated as early as them. And they were treated, as we say, at the pre-symptomatic stage before onset of symptoms. And they were given betaine and other therapies. And the outcome of those patients treated early was much better than their siblings who had been diagnosed later on in life. Having said that, the study was also based on a very important and seminal previous paper that came out, I think, in 2014. It's a meta-analysis by colleagues from the Netherlands studying the literature and clearly demonstrating that early treatment of MTHFR deficiency patients with betaine was really very successful in terms of, of neurocognitive outcome. You mentioned neurocognitive outcomes. What are the consequences of untreated MTHFR deficiency for these patients? So basically, untreated patients with MTHFR deficiency and due to the accumulation of homocysteine and lack of methionine, they exhibit neurodevelopmental problems and especially intellectual disability and severe encephalopathy, sometimes with seizures, sometimes with hydrocephalus, sometimes with microcephaly, sometimes with central apnea, very severe. They can die if it's untreated. They can exhibit very severe epilepsy if untreated. They can also um, exhibit strokes, thromboembolism. So, so basically, it's a, it's a severe neurometabolic disease that occurs early in life in early uh, onset patients. So within the study, you're obviously looking at the, the benefit of, of early um early betaine treatment. How did you go about doing that? So basically, we had two objectives. So like I said, based on our personal experience and the uh, seminal meta-analysis by the Dutch colleagues, we conducted this uh, retrospective studies and we focused first on the early onset MTHFR defective patients, that is to say, with signs and symptoms occurring before the age of three months. And we wanted to focus on the characteristics of, of these early onset cases. And the other objective was to identify both in these early onset and late onset retrospective cohort, predictive factors for severe neurocognitive outcome. And, um, and what did you see in the early onset group? So basically, in these early onset groups, we collected medical data on 32 early onset MTHFR patients. And for those early onset 32 patients, there were nine who were pre-symptomatically diagnosed and treated. And those nine patients, all of those exhibited a normal developmental outcome. That's a very important point. And if we go back to the 32 early onset patients, there were, let's say, roughly 80% of these patients who had severe neurological outcome, while 20 to 25% had normal to mild uh, neurodevelopmental outcome. So this was um, an incentive to conduct logistic regression on a broader subset of, of patients. And we could confirm when we looked at the whole cohort that pre-symptomatic diagnosis, treatment, and therapeutic management was associated with a, a better neurodevelopmental long-term outcomes. 
And is the outcome fully normalized on treatment? It's a, it's a good question. Um, we should mention that this is a, a mixture of patients we knew in whom, like I said, we had a, a pre-symptomatic management because of, of a, an affected sibling. Those were three patients. And the patients we didn't know, but were who were part of the EHUD registry, who also had the same story. So we could have, we had more information on our own patients, as opposed to the data uh, collected from the registry. And what we could see is that for the patients uh, we were personally following, we had a normal neurocognitive outcome between the age of three to, let's say, 10 to 12 years old because of the uh, follow-up. And for the others, we had information on the registry that they were asymptomatic longer term than those ages, but with less precise details because it was information from the registry, but with sufficient confidence to say that those patients early treated did well in terms of neurocognitive long-term outcome. And obviously, I mean, there's some variability in presentation with this disorder. Though, when those children are directly compared to their siblings, who presumably have the same genotype and would expect to have a similar phenotype, that's a sort of a almost a night and day difference. I take it in exactly. That's that's exactly it. It's a it's a very severe and with with lots of disabilities on the one hand in the index case, as we say as opposed to uh, no symptoms, normal schooling and normal IQ in the treated brother or sister. And is this with betaine alone or is it betaine plus diet, betaine plus other things? That's a very good question. So the cornerstone of MTHFR deficiency, and this is well known and it's something that was published before us, is betaine. But in addition to betaine, we think that it's appropriate to treat patients with either methyl tetrahydrofolate, which is methylfolate, or a folinic acid. Uh, for those two drugs, we are not sure in which instance they contribute to disease improvement. And apart from that, some patients are treated with the amino acid methionine as a, a powder, especially if the methionine concentration in blood is low. And the last thing is that in terms of diet, there's no proof or no evidence for a low-protein diet in these patients. So these patients are, are not treated with a low-protein uh, diet. I mean, that's obviously one of the hardest parts sometimes of adhering to IMD treatment is the, the low-protein diet. So, so this seems to be a relatively simple treatment, which completely changes the clinical course of a disease. So you finish the paper with a, a call for screening for MTHFR deficiency. Is that as, as simple as checking homocysteine levels? And, and what are the challenges of implementing this? So this is a very important question. And, and both the, uh, the previous meta-analysis and our work plead for uh, the implementation of, of newborn screening, because if you can identify those MTHFR-deficient babies early on and treat them, uh, you will ensure uh, the best uh, neurocognitive outcome as possible. Having said that, it's not so easy in practice. And we know that uh, if we want to screen for MTHFR deficiency, we need to look at, as a first-year test, a low methionine level and maybe uh, more uh, sensitive, a low methionine to phenylalanine ratio in dried blood spot. And after that, as a second tier test, we need to measure 
total homocysteine on the dried blood spot. So if it was to be implemented, it would need uh, rethinking and discussions and appropriate management of this newborn screening. But of course, if it worked, it would be ideal. Well, thank you. It's always gratifying to hear about successful treatment of IMD, um, but obviously the challenge still remains that you've got to find it first. Um, if you'd like to read Manuel's paper, then please click the link in the podcast description or why not find it by downloading the Wiley online library app for iOS or Android. And if you'd like to see those details on the eHod website about newborn screening, then go to www.e-hod.org. Uh, Manuel, thank you again for your time. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Mm-hmm.